Objective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. In today's episode number four, we talk about why I should get involved with PSI and what it's like to run the PSI conference. An interview with this year's PSI conference chair, Lucy Raul. I'm very, very excited to have Lucy on this episode today. So please stay tuned for the episode. This podcast is sponsored by PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives for statisticians. Learn more about upcoming events at psiweb.org. Hello, this is another episode of The Effective Statistician uh, with Benjamin Pieske and Alexander Schacht. And today I'm very excited that we have um, an interview guest here, which is Lucy Roll. She was the chair of the PSI conference last year and is the chair of the PSI conference in 2018. I'm very happy to have here. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Alexander. Hi, listeners. Okay, so um, maybe, Lucy, you start with a short introduction of your name, what you're working on, what your special interests are, so and also, what are you actually doing <laughs> at PSI? <laughs> Great <Yeah>. questions. <laughs> um, so, yeah, hi, everyone. My name's Lucy Rowell. Um, I'm a statistician. I've been working at Roche for about 15 years now. Um, and I've been quite lucky in my career that I've done a, a range of different things. I've worked both in early and late stage development, and I've worked across a number of different therapeutic areas. And specifically at the minute, um, I've sort of got two different hats, one where I'm working in oncology and secondly, where I'm working in immunology. And up to recently, um, I was a global development team leader or well, that's what they're called here at Roche, working on a number of different molecules. And in that role, um, I was able to lead a cross-functional team, which included clinical science, um, drug safety, operations, regulatory, clinical pharmacology, um, and biometrics. Um, there was a separate person on the team to represent biometrics. And my responsibility is really to lead that team to develop and deliver the best clinical development programs we could um, for molecules across um, all of the indications that molecule may be looked at. And now I'm doing a slightly interesting role where I'm doing 50% of my time still within the biostatistics group, um, but I'm also doing 50% of my time working within the UK affiliate, specifically in our pipeline team. So in that role, I'm actually doing no statistics whatsoever. Um, and I'm actually doing a hybrid medical manager and brand manager role for our very, very early development programs. And the aim through that really is to try and ensure that the UK needs are taken into account within our clinical development programs, um, trying to ensure that we're producing groundbreaking medicines, um, which we, we will be able to get reimbursed um, for UK patients so that they can gain access. So I think I've been pretty lucky so far. Um, Roche have been very generous to me and they've let me um, experience both 
interesting roles as a statistician, but over probably the last four or five years, roles that are not typically done by statisticians. Um, And it's really made me appreciate that the skill sets that we have as statisticians can actually be applied to many different parts of our industry versus just where we may typically think we we belong. Um, And I think because of that, my sort of specific interests um, within um, the pharmaceutical industry and our role as statisticians specifically, I think, is trying to work out how we can better help teams and the organizations as a whole in decision making. And that could be just as straightforward as making sure we can communicate very complex methods and large data sets in a very simple and easy way for people to understand. Um, Or it could be using methodology and in Roche, we call it the probability of technical success. And I, I think other companies have similar terminology and, and similar ways, which are really more using Bayesian techniques to help sort of predict the, the success of varying programs. And so um, I think that's why I've tried to do a number of different roles throughout the organization, because that's an area that I'm really interested in around learning how we can, we can make better decisions. And specifically within PSI, to your last question, um, so I am the conference chair, um, and this is my second year of doing that role. And I've just been really, really lucky, actually, that I took over this role from Emma Jones, and she had built the event up to be really quite successful. Um, Berlin was our biggest conference to date, and and a lot of that is is thanks to the work that Emma did. And so... um, between myself and the scientific committee, I think what we're hoping to do is now keep growing the conference, um, just ensuring that delegates sort of see new and interesting content. Um, and it's surprising how how long and complex that actually takes to do. But um, I'm thoroughly enjoying my experience on the conference so far, and um, I'm looking forward to a successful 2018. Well, I think the conference was already off a very good start with a record number of uh, abstract submissions for the oral presentations. Uh, I think we had more more than 80, didn't we? We did. And we actually had to turn a couple away, unfortunately, because it seems to always be the case that there's always a number that come in after the deadline, (laughs) Um, though we try and promote the deadline all over, um, people still unfortunately submit them late. So there were a couple extra that we we had to sort of recommend that they put in for a poster. But yeah, we had 80 submissions, which is the highest by quite a long way, actually. Which which is very, very different to, I think, a lot of conferences that where you see extensions to the deadline, possibly because they don't get enough submissions for oral presentations. And here there's, uh, there's actually much more oral presentations, which probably leads to a much better quality in, in the overall selection of the, uh, uh, of the speakers. Um, so you have very, very long experience now within the pharma industry. How did you get actually initially involved with PSI? Did you directly start when, when you joined the industry or how did you start yeah, on so, PSI? Um, I've been a member of PSI pretty much since I joined the industry, but I didn't really get involved until about six years ago. 
Um, and it was really by luck, in a sense, there was um, a member of Roche who was already on the scientific committee, and she was looking to sort of step down and do some other roles within PSI. And we just had a, a call out through the sort of Roche to see would anybody be interested in taking that role on from her. Um, and I think I was one of the only ones who actually put my hand up and said, yeah, I'd like to volunteer. And so um, I've been on the scientific committee and I've only been on the scientific committee. So my view um, over this interview may be a little biased, I'll admit. Um, but, I'll, you know, having sat on the board now for a year, I do know quite a lot of what's happening in other parts, but um, it's very much a scientific committee perspectives. Um, but I think what's been really interesting is that the scientific committee has a number of different things ongoing and you know we're always aiming to put out high quality content whether it be the webinars or the one-day meetings or the conference um, and so actually as a member of that committee you get a really varied set of experiences that you're working on um, and so I think that has been um, it's been a really enjoyable experience hence why I've been doing it for for so long. So what is the scientific committee? Yeah, so the scientific doing? committee are responsible for all of our one-day meetings, and we usually hold about four of those a year, um, and then the webinars. Now, webinars, some of the um, the SIGs, so the special inter interest groups, also put out webinars, um, but usually the scientific committee put out three to four um, webinars also a year. We're always trying to expand and do more, um, but it's it's usually in the region of about four um, webinars. And then they also do the conference. And I think that's a piece that people often don't realise. I think people think the conference is actually separate and it's its own little committee, but it, it's completely not. It's It's fully within the scientific committee. Yeah, actually, this year we seem to have much more webinars than, than yeah. in, in the past. Um, there's, there's, uh, when this goes live, there will be already a couple of webinars um, over, and there's a couple of uh, new ones uh, that is coming yeah. out. And just um, to say, I think the webinars are a really great asset for PSI because I think it's a way for us to be able to engage with a much wider community. And I know we've definitely tried over the last couple of years to try and get more international speakers and the webinars is a way for us to be able to do that much more easier than our like one day meetings where they're typically um, held either in the UK or we have had for the last couple of years one day meetings within sort of mainland Europe but it's it's more difficult to get you know a speaker say from the Japanese health authority to attend that but we might be able to get them on a webinar. Yeah, webinars are really kind of low threshold. You can just, you know, dial it into your calendar very easily. So a great, great way to uh, to learn and to develop Agreed. yourself. So in terms of PSI, now that you have been so heavily involved, what are, what does you what do you actually most like about PSI? What does it mean? Um, so I think for me, it's community. I think that would be probably the word that I would generally use to describe it. Um, I've met so many great people through being part of PSI, being part of the committees, attending events, attending the conference, both 
before I was part of PSI um, so actively and since. Um, And I think people give so much of their time, their knowledge, they're always wanting to learn new things and build networks. And I, I think that's really important. And also, it's always fun. And I think that's something that we should never forget, um, that with all of the events um, and conference in particular, we want to make sure that people have learned something, but they've also had a fun time. And I I think PSI really does um, engage with the fun side of things as well. Yes, yes, for sure. I, I'm just remembering the, the, the gala dinners of the last conferences that I attended. It was, that was really <laughs> a lot of fun. And not only yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I was just asking, like, how do you manage to, um, to do the work for PSI on top of your usual work? I mean, you were just benching 50% <laughs> and 50%, makes 100%. So now PSI is coming. Um, so how do you so manage that? I... I listened is what I would say. Um, So previous conference chairs, and I've been lucky enough to work with a number of them through the scientific committee, a lot of them have done this on top of their day job. And at certain times of the year, conference can literally become your entire life. Pretty much you're working on it 24-7. And I think one thing maybe just to highlight to listeners is that actually we're working on conference for about each conference about two years. So there's about one and a half years on the run-up, and then there's about six months afterwards where we're sort of finalizing the budgets and making sure all the content's online and uploaded, etc. Um, and because of that, when I sort of said I was interested in taking on this role, I had some serious discussions with my manager who was extremely supportive. And I have been just very lucky that they have actually carved out, Roche have carved out 20% of my time to do conference, which includes the board meetings, um, et cetera, that I um, take part in and the scientific committee meetings. Um, but without that, I think I'd really struggle. In terms of board meetings, what do you mean? Yeah, so when you um, become the conference chair, you also um, get to sit on the PSI board. And usually the board meet every month. There might be in the summer uh, a meeting that's missed. But we usually have uh, every month at least a two-hour, three-hour TC, plus um, every other month there may be a face-to-face meeting. And then PSI also do um, a strategy day. And the strategy day, um, we have one year when it's just the board for a one-day sort of face-to-face strategy day meeting. The alternate year, we actually invite a broader um, range of the membership to come together and to think about what we want for the vision of PSI moving forward. And then as a board, we sort of take that on board and and try and instill that within the varying different committees that are happening. You mentioned your management was Mm -hmm. quite supportive of you uh, taking on these responsibilities within PSI. Um, What made them so supportive? So so what were their arguments uh, of you working on PSI? <laughs> what were your yeah. arguments for um, asking to work for PSI? And just to say, I didn't, I didn't have any additional time set aside until I, I took on the conference chair. And it, it was purely because I, I'd seen how time-consuming it was for, for other people. Um, so I think there was two 
pieces to that. I think there's one which is that actually they can see the benefit to sort of me as an individual. Um, You get a very unique set of development opportunities um, when you take on that type of role and things that you probably don't get to do in your normal day-to-day life and and things you probably may never, ever use again, Um, but it's taught you something and you've learned something new from it. So I think there's one that they they definitely see as a development opportunity for me. Um, And the same for any other, um, I guess, people who are working on these committees. But I, I think on top of that, there's sort of the networks. So I've certainly built built much stronger networks across the industry since doing this role. I don't think I realized quite how much until I took it on. And and I think they see a lot of benefit in that um, in terms of being able to have that wider connection of of people to sort of tap into. Um, And I think also just finally that you know, PSI is, is run really by its members for its members. And um, I think Roche and both the management here within um, Wellen in the UK and, and across both Switzerland and the US, I think, you know, really appreciate that and think that there's a lot we do that's interesting. And if we want to learn from others, then we also have to be willing to share what we're doing um, and to give people's time and to, to keep this going. Because if you don't have people who are engaged in companies that are happy to support their staff members being engaged, then quite quickly, PSI could sort of fall on its head. So um, I'm, I'm definitely very thankful. And I say these things very much from what I think <laughs> they, they believe it to be. Um, but it's my opinion. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's really about the community building that you mentioned earlier and this the better and stronger this overall community is across the industry, the better it is for statisticians overall within the different uh companies. So it's really um helping us as a function overall. Um what is <clears throat> what would you say then for um, for yourself, but also as a recommendation for other statisticians, um, not recommendation, but maybe what should they bring to be involved? I mean, not necessarily as much as you are at the moment, but also to just, just to get involved into the PSI a little bit, to attend, to be part of the community. So what need, do they need to bring or how can you <laughs> encourage them to be part so of the I community? I think there's probably a few really simple things that people can get involved in and don't have to be really spend very much time doing that and that's actually just trying to help us as PSI build some of our social um, engagement sort of activities so if you make sure that you're following us on LinkedIn through the PSI group or with Twitter and that's at PSI updates and I'd really encourage people to like and share and and actually comment on some of the things that we we put out there. Um, it's something that we've spoken about many times on the PSI board is, is, is trying to get more people engaged and giving feedback and not being nervous and, and shy to give feedback because, you know, it is there. It's open for everybody to see. Um, and nobody wants to sort of either look naive or, or ask a silly question. But 
No question is silly. We've all been there. I ask plenty of silly questions all the time. Really do, do not worry about that. We're certainly not judging people. Um, and I think that for me is like one of the easiest ways is just to please just comment and share and view and like, and then give us feedback. Because, you know, as I say, we're run by members for members. Uh, and if we're not putting the right sort of content or you're interested in things that you might not be aware about, then please let us no. Um, I mean, if you want to be involved in a committee, then you can always, um, you can contact me or you can contact Alexander or anyone else who's um, part of one of the committees. Um, also on the website, which is psiweb.org, um, there's a tile on the front page and you can click on that and you can register that you're interested in a, in a committee if you want to get involved in that sort of um, setting. And, the, and there's lots of different sort of committees and, and different levels of involvement you, you can sort of do depending what your interest areas are. I think for me personally, um, what you would need to bring if you're joining a, a committee specifically really is a strong interest to share knowledge, to learn from others. Um, you definitely need some enthusiasm um, and a willingness to just be able to jump in and, and, and sort of get involved straight away. Um, we, you know, we're looking for members who, who want to be really active um, and to help us sort of um, keep putting out great content and, and a lot of content. I mean, I think PSI put out a vast amount of content compared to sort of some other organizations of a similar size. That's true. Yeah, and especially kind of the enthusiasm, I think that is really key. So I have seen um, uh, that I joined a couple of uh, initiatives where I just wanted to learn more about it and uh, to and. I've seen a couple of other people that had the complete same strategy um, that joined certain initiatives just to learn about it. And I think that's a completely mm -hmm. valid starting point. So you don't need to be an expert in, uh, let's say, benefit risk to join the benefit mm -hmm. risk uh, special interest group. Absolutely. And we're yeah. all we're all and new all when we start. So, um, you know. Don't, exactly. don't be scared to put always, your hands up. And it always helps also to have some some people that come in with a fresh view on things uh, that help to make sure that also communication is uh, in a way that it's also easy to understand for people that are not that kind of experts in, in these kind of mm -hmm. uh, fields. So we have talked a lot about... Um, your involvement with, with PSI and, of course, your biggest involvement <laughs> is actually the conference that is uh, starting at the big, uh, uh, early June. And it's starting actually in a very, very nice city, one of my favorite <laughs> cities in Europe, Amsterdam. Um, how did you actually come up with this location? So very much similar to your viewpoint, Alexander, it's a beautiful city. So um, it was definitely one we wanted to consider um, there was a little reluctance, I must say, originally with choosing Amsterdam because there's not, you know, a huge amount of um, pharma there compared to some other countries like Germany when we initially picked Germany for the very sort of first um, EU conference. But 
Amsterdam is beautiful. It's a major transport hub. So that's really important for us when we're picking um, a location that it's somewhere that everybody can get to easily, no matter where you're coming from. Um, And then some more of the boring stuff, like it actually wasn't a particularly expensive city when we were looking at venues. Um, And also we wanted to do, or I wanted to do a few different potential things with Amsterdam. Um, And we managed to get a venue that was sort of within our price bracket, allowed us to actually have a conference venue um, that wasn't so big that, you know, we would need like two or 3,000 delegates attending. Um, And it's just a very unique and beautiful building, the Burr's Van Village. Um, I have a a little bit of (laughs) a hook on an old sort of classical buildings versus sort of new contemporary buildings. So I was almost, as soon as I walked in, and it, and it's the old um, sort of stock exchange building. So I was almost sold as soon as we walked in. I tried to be a little bit more um, unbiased, but um, it was it was hard not to feel a real great pull to that venue. And I hope um, other people who like sort of old-fashioned architecture are going to really, really love the setting, um, as well as just the fact that we're in Amsterdam uh, and we're right in the heart of Amsterdam with this venue. So you can you can sort of walk around and uh, and see a lot of things very quickly. Yeah, that's that's very actually very nice side about Amsterdam. You can. I was recently there with um, just by train, and you're. R- directly in the middle of the city and you can walk to to all the different locations so um very very easy to reach and also very welcoming city yes it smells a little bit funny (laughs) (laughs) and it it probably will in june but hopefully in the venue itself it will will smell beautiful (laughs) yeah really looking forward to that <clears throat> what what is actually your what what will be your active responsibility at the PSI conference? So will you be sitting there and shaking hands with everyone coming in, or is it? So um, what is your? Unfortunately, not. Yes, so I would love to be there shaking hands, and I do actually take part in the conference, and I am there in all of the sessions. Um, so that I definitely am there to do. But I guess the first thing is more that I sort of try and take a little step back to just ensure that everyone's having the best experience possible. So I want to speak to um, our exhibitors and our sponsors to make sure that, you know, it's what they were expecting and what they've signed up for to speak to delegates to find out what's happening. Um, And just to sort of walk around and, and experience it. And if there's things that I don't think are quite as I'd envisaged with some of the setup, um, then usually the day before, MCI are our sort of event management company that we sort of work with both PSI and with the conference, but we have our own special conference um, group within MCI. And so we try and sort of rejig things around if things aren't quite working to um, my expectation. There's also little things that are going on in terms of we've had little hiccups before where maybe people thought they'd ordered a hotel room and they haven't um, and we needed to sort out some of those logistical pieces which are not overly exciting but they still need to be done but I mean usually when you're actually at the conference itself most things have been done 
um, and it's the time to sort of hopefully sit back, enjoy it with everybody else, um, and hope that all that those months and years of planning have uh, are just sort of nicely running smoothly. That will be my second question then. Is like, do you really manage to enjoy the conference then, or are you there just um, for working purposes? <laughs> so actually, that was I think my biggest lesson learned from last year, from 2017. I don't think I realized actually how stressful it was during the the three days or three and a half days, and so. This year, I'm determined that I'm going to enjoy it more. So I definitely all of the the sort of um, the sort of keynote speeches and the actual events themselves, in terms of the presentations, etc. That was all fine. I went to all of the the sessions that I wanted to go to. In fact, I went to every single session there sort of was. Um, so I didn't miss out on any content. So that was great. Um, but there was always something sort of in the back of my mind. I just need to check this or I just need to make sure that's okay. Um, and definitely this year, I, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to worry as much. And I think there's a lot of op boring operational logistical things, which you think you've got right. And you, you don't necessarily know what you don't know until it happens um, that I'm already trying to, make sure are fixed so that there's more opportunity for just taking the conference in and enjoying it rather than always having something in the back of my mind that I think I just need to check that's okay. So you have put this conference again on a special theme of the mm. conference. Um, what's, that, what's that theme about and how did you actually come up with it? Yeah, so the theme this year is um, breaking boundaries in drug development. Um, and actually, we take a similar approach each year to this. So we just ask all of the scientific committee members to think about themes and ideas that they'd like to see at the conference. Um, and we'll have reviewed all of the feedback from the previous year to sort of get an idea of, of, of sort of ideas or themes that um, we think will be interesting. Um, and then everyone just submits as many ideas as they want. It's really quite straightforward. Um, I think we had about 20 for 2018. And then all of the sub, um, the scientific committee members, um, I think we gave them three votes so that they could vote for a number of different ones. And whichever theme had the most um, won. And this one actually won by quite a large margin um, and I think it, for me I was really pleased it definitely wasn't my idea this came from someone else on the committee we've got a couple of people on our committee that are really great with coming up with short catchy names um, so they're a real great asset for this sort of thing and for trying to come up with quirky names for some of the sessions at conference um, but I think it really reflects the sort of status that we're in at the moment where we're needing to really challenge the status quo as statisticians and needing to be creative um, and needing to ensure that we stop ineffective treatments as soon as we can and we make sure that we can get efficacious and safe drugs to patients as fast as possible. And to do that, I think we're going to have to break some of the, the normal cycles we might think about. And, and so I do think actually the, the theme, even though we hadn't necessarily thought of it like that in advance really nicely um, 
resonates, I think, with where we are at the moment in the industry. And I think the, this also leads to the mm. two keynote speakers that will be there at the conference. So, so one from actually from, from Amsterdam or from the yep. Netherlands and actually another one from the US. So um, tell us a little bit about them. How do they fit with the overall theme of the conference? Yeah, so I think when we, when we try to come up with the keynote speakers, we try to come up with ideas of people who who could potentially bring a slightly different viewpoint to what the norm may be, um, but who are going to get us engaged and excited about what's going to be coming on that day, um, as well as sort of what's going to be hopefully going to motivate us when we get back to our jo day jobs after the conference is finished. And we try and make sure that they speak to or they've got themes that are going to run with the overarching theme of, of conference. And so Steve Ruberg from Eli Lilly, that one actually was really, really straightforward, thankfully. He was one of the first people that came out as a potential speaker based on the sort of conference theme, um, really because a lot of the work that he had um, done in Eli Lilly over a number of years, and you probably know this even better, Alexander, you may even want to comment on this, has really been trying to break down the role of the statistician. Um, and I think that really holds a strong place for me personally. Um, and the Enterprise Data and Analytics Group, I think, looks to seek to foster this sort of analytical mindset to think about creative and novel applications of analytics to all different parts of um, the business. And I think in our ever-changing industry, um, where we're just getting more and more and more data coming from all different areas and, and not just from sort of clinical trials or from real world data, just from, from sort of all over. I think there's a lot that we can learn from, from Steve and the work that he had been doing at Eli Lilly. And um, I think that's going to be hopefully a really exciting and engaging talk. So we're really, really pleased that he's, um, he's going to be attending. And then it wasn't quite the same thing with Nupa Kohli. Um, We found her, or I found her, because we were trying to find a speaker who really could talk about a sort of higher level thinking of what's going to happen in healthcare overall, what's that future potentially going to look like, and then sort of from there how we as sort of statisticians and the pharmaceutical industry are going to sort of um, fit into that. Um, and what I was quite interested about, actually, was that the Netherlands has a really, really high rating for healthcare. Um, and given that we're going to be in the Netherlands, um, it seemed like a good opportunity to try and find a, a local speaker who could try and sort of bring in that local perspective about the Netherlands and how the healthcare system and how they've managed to get that really successful, but also having a futuristic view um, for us wider within the industry um, about what we need to sort of be prepared and ready to adapt for. Um, and Nepur sort of fitted that really, really, really well. Um, Another thing for me that was actually really important this year was to have a female keynote speaker. Um, we had two male keynote speakers last year, and, and obviously um, Steve is male. So I 
did want to make sure that we did have um, a balance there. Um, and I think looking at her YouTube videos, um, it could be an interesting kickoff to the conference. Um, and that's something that we've tried to do for the last few years is sort of have the very opening speaker be somebody who's a little bit more um, not pharma statistics related exactly, but that their ideas and concepts will sort of feed into um, what our sort of roles as statisticians will will be. So um, she's very excited um, about taking part and about what PSI are sort of doing. Um, and I'm certainly really excited to see what she's going to do and bring. And I hope other people are going to find it equally engaging. But I don't know if there's anything extra you want to add about Steve, yes. Alexander, or... Yeah, I think both speakers will be very, very engaging. And as you said, Steve has really uh, promoted statistics far beyond the uh, clinical development work. So he got statisticians involved in all kinds of different parts of the company and uh, through his business analytics point of view and things like this to the point where now we have actually a former statistician leading this overall quantitative group uh, within Lilly, and, uh, which is Arti Shah, and she's actually reporting now directly yeah. to our CEO. So we have now a stati former statistician sitting in the executive committee, which is, I think, maybe a little bit unusual. Um, but um, like you are also taking over very unusual roles within uh, your company, uh, I think that's another example of uh, statisticians that can be very successful outside of their, uh, let's say, core function. So we are already uh, uh, quite advanced in, in, in the time. So I would like to um, wrap this up now a little bit. But I, I, there's one really important question that <laughs> still is on my list and, and on my line. So, so you have invested quite a lot of your time in, into PSI and especially into the, the conferences. So how has that impacted you personally? <laughs> and would you do it uh, again? Great question. And um, I'm not quite sure I know a definite answer to it. Um, so... I think for me personally, I thought it was already fairly organized, et cetera, but this has taken it to a whole new level. Um, and there's like weird things. Like I now know all about the tax system in the Netherlands. So anybody who wants to know about that, come and find me um, at conference. We'll have a drink and I can bore you to death with some of those little bits of information that you, you just never knew you ever needed to know about. Um, but it has also actually helped me personally with promotions at work. I think, you know, the recognition of what PSI is, the impact it has, um, and being sort of heavily engaged and um, involved in that. Um, Rosh have really sort of seen that as a, a sort of interesting set of skills that other people may not have. And, and it has, I think, helped me. Um, it's sort of very much in, in getting promotion um, at work a year or two ago. Um, I mean, I think in terms of would I do it again, etc. Last year, 
be quite honest, I was completely in favour of suggesting to the board that we go to a fuse model um, where people only chair for one year, just given the time, commitment and effort that it, 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 it takes to, to do this. Um, that being said, I think now that 2018 has sort of really fully kicked off um, partway through last year, it's actually much more enjoyable this year already than it was that first year. Um, and so I think now I'm, I'm back in favor of the current <clears throat> PSI model where you sort of, you, you co-chair for one year, you chair for two years, and then you co-chair for the, the final year. Um, so <clears throat> give me a second to just cough. <clears throat> so I definitely need a break. I'll definitely admit that. After Amsterdam, I certainly need a little break from conference. Um, I'll definitely be supporting um, Kate Taylor from Amgen, who's going to take over for the 2019 conference. And she's sort of supporting and following me through 2018 to, to get experience and see what it's like. Um, and then I certainly wouldn't say no to doing it again. So I think that's a good sign. I probably would have done last year, but now I'm in a different place. Um, and it's certainly a really, really interesting opportunity for people. You don't get to do a lot of the stuff that you do for conference in your day-to-day -day life. Um, and so, I mean, I was organizing my wedding before I took on this and I thought, oh, it's going to just be like that. It's going to be just the same. I'm going to have this nailed down. Don't worry wrong just so completely wrong um so i would definitely you know if you have an interest in not just event planning because i i know that's what it sort of sounds like but you know being able to to sort of lead and organize teams and to sort of be responsible for sort of trying to think about some of the sort of creative vision of what the conference is going to be like and especially one thing I've learned, and specifically actually from you, Alexander, is about the importance of the communication strategy for conference. And that's one thing we've really tried to put into place this year, um, much more than we had last year. Um, so if you're sort of interested in, in doing those sorts of things, then definitely think about putting yourself forward for, for being conference chair in, in future years. It's, it's certainly a, a worthwhile experience, though, from my experience, you might not appreciate that till you're in your second year. Thanks so much. And before you um, want to be a conference chair, maybe you first just register indeed. for this year's conference <laughs> and join indeed, us all indeed. in Indeed, And if anyone ever wants to know anything more about the conference <laughs> or about anything else, then um, I'm always more than happy to, um, to take emails or calls. So please always feel free to, to get in contact. Yeah, so just visit uh, yeah. psiweb.org and you'll easily find the conference there. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for this interview. That was very, very enjoyable. And see you all at the conference in Thanks. Amsterdam. See you all soon. Thanks, Lucy. We thank PSI for sponsoring this show. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your colleagues about it.